They want to launch a course on how to do underwater basket weaving. Well, there is no competitors doing that because somebody tried it and there's no customers. So I like to be in things with demand. Now I'm going to ask you, because you're an expert on speed reading, learning languages, all that stuff. What's a practical tip for people listening that they can read quicker? Now we're switching subjects from making money online directly to learning how to read so that you can make more money online. What's the number one thing people do wrong that they read too slow? The, the way to practice is to look for, I don't have a specific course I recommend these days. Uh, I did this about 10 years ago. But the way to practice is something that's going to help pace you faster and mm-hmm. just practice reading something uh, like reading a, a novel online okay. and, and with something that'll help help automatically like a sound or something that'll help you read faster and faster and what that's going to do there's a couple things that, that can happen you, essentially your your brain and your eyes and your mind are totally capable of um, simplifying it but seeing like three words at once like the green tree instead of the um, normal or basically bad readers but normal readers like we'll we'll see and process like the separately and then green oh, so separately the and tree separately. green tree yeah and you can automatically train your mind by practicing but by practicing reading basically just faster with something that paces you is pretty key for that but it's are people there think online that, pacing that it's like tools like that is like speed reading yeah are there online pacing tools like that people can use i, I don't i don't have one it, it i should i should have one for questions like this um but i don't have one at my fingertips to specifically recommend but i want to tell people what to look for at least and that way, and and why it's realistic. See, people associate speed reading, even that word is ridiculous. If we called it normal reading, then people would all learn to do it because mm-hmm. it would be a standard, it would be normal, right? Yes. Um, everyone wants to you know, do what's normal. Uh, but it's not scanning. Your mind can actually comprehend better and faster if you're um, seeing like the green tree all at once, but it's not realistic to see like a whole line at once. You can fool yourself into believing it, mm-hmm. and maybe there's a few people out there, maybe there's some savants, whatever, but, it, but I've worked with a lot of people with this over a decade in my 20s, and what's realistic is to see about, again, about like three words, there's about 10 words on a line, Okay. And not think you can see it all, not think you can see 10 lines at once, but that you're going to realistically be able to increase your reading rate by about four times wow. with a little bit a little bit better comprehension. So the next practical tip we're on number four is yeah. scan at least three words when you read. I'll give you a next one uh, along that line. Can you hand me a book? Here's a book. One of the things you can do if you don't see an online pacing is to pace with your hand. So you exactly. basically take a book, you take your finger, or you can take a bookmark. Let's do it with money. Here's a stack of 10 G's. You take this stack of $10,000 and you basically set a set pace that you won't go faster yeah, or slower. I would maybe move your hand across or a pointer across the line even. 10 and, grand and will, force yourself 10 to grand go will remind three, you there's money. Two or three times faster. <laughs> and you have to let go. You have to be yes. okay with not feeling like you got everything at See first. See how I'm doing that? That's practice. That's not speed reading when you're practicing. Does that make sense? When yep. you're practicing something, you obviously have to let go of being a master at it. You see that, right? Guys? While you're pra- but in about a month, you can you can have real significant improvement. So that's practical tip number five. You just yep. somebody said holds the book upside down. That's not upside down, Michael Stacy. I love people online who who do snarky comments, but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like. Maybe no, there, there's that's, some that's gurus that have recommended that. I'm not really into these ways to like allegedly see the whole page at once, see 10 pages at once, whatever. In teaching it, I mean, real, like what's what's re, re, 
duplicatable, repeatable, and realistic that I've personally seen over and over. I can't tell you what some savant in India or wherever has done. I'm not going to say he has or hasn't done what, what he's claimed, but I've repeated three to five times with a little bit better comprehension mm-hmm. with the hundreds of people. Good. Okay. Next practical tip. So David Mills gave you one. Let's talk about learning foreign languages. Your, uh, one of your kids is under five years old and know, knows four different languages. What languages do they know? And what's a practical tip for somebody listening? Because by the way, you will make more money. It's been proven over and over. If you speak more languages, you have more, like, for example, do your drop shipping from China? You can negotiate better if you know a little bit of Chinese, even if you don't know a lot enough to open a conversation, put people at ease, negotiation and business goes partly by whether they like you, whether they understand you. So what's a real practical simple tip, uh, simple technique to learning a language relatively quickly. Let me first answer what I have the particular expertise in, mm-hmm. um, which is with, with, with children, there's actually a window and this happens in life where, where there's time. If you get the timing, right, yes. things are incredibly easier. Yes. If you know how to look for it with children, there's a window up until about six years old where memories get imprinted and, and kind of foundations get imprinted differently than after their personality develops. It's kind of like a cap on a well around that time. They have more ability to control their emotions, but they can't learn languages as fast. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can totally learn languages later. Yes. Um, but, but in one sense, the, the same technique will be relevant, which is we we didn't push him. We didn't sit him down and make him work. He's, he's five. I have one son who's five mm-hmm. and he's, he's also fluent at reading in those, in those languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and you create a context. We have thousands of books in our house all around. We excitedly read to him, show him the words. A lot of kids just aren't exposed to that. And we have a person come and again, you can do this when you're older too, but I, we have a person come once a week for each of the, their, the two languages that we don't speak or that my wife doesn't speak. And um, just just talk to him in that language. What's interesting is we had to go through like 15 people, say, for Chinese hmm. before they would just do what I asked. It's that counterintuitive to never speak English, only speak Chinese. It doesn't matter if he doesn't understand you at first. But and also don't teach him lessons like the colors and the animals. Just play with him and do what he wants. Because think about it, you're a four year old. Someone's playing with you. They only speak Chinese. All of a sudden it becomes so important to speak Chinese and then you yeah. just pick it up. Yeah. So immerse. So practical tip: if you want to learn a language, full immersion. Write that and down. Important. Think, and the point of immersion is importance. It has to feel important subconsciously somehow. Yes, yeah, so if you're a guy, you get like. like a hot girl to only speak to you in one language. <laughs> Pay her That's if you true. want. That's true. That would literally be my top suggestion to a guy would be get a hot girl, (laughs) pay her, not for the language. Uh, um, Pay her not. We're talking about the language, by the way, to pay. I had a friend in Czech Republic. Czech is one of the hardest languages to learn from scratch as an adult. He was completely fluent in Czech. And I asked him what happened. He said, I was visiting Czech Republic. He was from London. And he said he met this girl, the love of his life, this beautiful girl. And he said within six months of her not speaking exactly like you said. So tip number six was full immersion. (laughs) Tip number seven, practical tip to learning a language to increase your fluidity in the world, your potential income, your potential uh, opportunities is you have to be learning from somebody in a context that you care about. Since my friend cared about this girl and she, she actually, it was immersion because she didn't speak English very well. So he said to her, I'm going to learn it. Within six months, he was completely fluent as an adult from zero to not 100% fluent, but he was like 80% fluent in Czech within six months because the context was right. It's the importance. 
it's not like the lessons. It's not yes. the, even the immersion itself. It's the it's the importance to your subconscious. It, your brain not- can learn unbelievable amounts. It's the easiest thing for your brain to learn, but it has to figure out what's important. We have so much information all the time coming at us and it, and it has to delete most of it or else we go crazy. So you yep. have to give it the idea that it's, that it's important and, that, and that's what does it. It's almost like an adventurous approach to business. It's like I, t- I, I tweeted the other day and it, it kind of went viral. I said, you know, one of the ways to not be so stressed out is to see life as an adventure versus accomplishment. The second you see exact accomplishment of a goal as your primary um, objective, you oftentimes don't get it. And then you fall apart and then you feel stressed. But if you see the goal, like you're saying, in other words, is your goal is not always to be right. Your goal is the adventure of figuring out what's right, no matter who you have to ask. And oftentimes, your first idea almost always is not your best idea in business. What was the, what did Quest Bar look like at the beginning? So like we're seeing the end result of this hyper successful business that you founded uh, selling, you know, millions of these in over what, what did you say? 70 countries or 90 countries? 90 countries. Yeah. What did it look like at the beginning? Did you instantly have this exact idea? Like it'll look like this. It'll have these flavors, you know, or it'll be at this price point or did that evolve? What was the original idea? What did it look like? So we knew it was going to be a protein bar. So that much really, um, was right from the jump. And, and we knew that it had to be something that was metabolically real. So that was our whole thing. It has to be metabolically advantageous. And so we had built a successful company before this, but it was in software and, um, I actually went in and quit. So I had worked my way from copywriter to chief marketing officer. I'd earned equity in the company just through busting ass, quite frankly. And, um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm in this now by that point for like almost seven years. Um, I'm burned out. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life on paper. I'm a multimillionaire. Um, and I'm just like, I'm so fucking miserable. Like get me out of here. And so I went in and quit and I was like, I'm living the cliche of money can't buy happiness. Um, so guys, here's your equity back. You know, if I don't cross the finish line, I shouldn't get anything for this. So, um, you're never going to hear from me again. If you sell the company, you gave your shares back literally. And, uh, I was like, you know, here it is. Uh, cause I, I was leaving. Right. So it was like, Hey, go do your thing. I wish you the best. I just can't keep doing this anymore. I need to do something where I feel alive. And, um, in doing that it, they, so they didn't want me to quit and they said, Hey, look, we could do this without you, but we don't want to that. Let me reconnect to something other than the money, which was at that point in my life. I needed that so badly because I had been chasing money, just like straight up Scrooge McDuck style for like, <laughs> you know, at that point, like a very long time, seven years, a long Scrooge time. McDuck. So like j- literally the Disney just, version. Yeah. Just <laughs> fantasies of like swimming in my money. Right. Like that just money, money, money. Did you ever like and put on your bed and throw it and like lie down? Did you do Wolf of Wall Street stuff? <laughs> no, I wasn't crazy like that. It was, you know, for me, I used to say I would do anything um, that I needed to, to be successful within my code of ethics. So it's like, there's just certain things that I believe in and willing to do. And, and that may have been part of the frustration, right? Is that trying to do something that you're not passionate about, but doing it always in a way that you can feel good about, like gets really hard. So I wanted to tap into my passion. I wanted to do something not just in an ethical way, but that I was deeply passionate about that I really cared about. And so that was my pitch back when they said, come work with us still. Um, I said, it would have to be something that's all about value creation. It would have to be something that we're deeply passionate about. It would have to be something that um, really addresses a big problem. And that, and the words I was using at the time were, I, I want to be me. I want to be myself. So there was no um, social media at the time. There was like all of the things we think of now as What year? What year did you start this? Uh, the software company? No, the... 
Quest Bar, you quit. What was the year you quit? Well, so I quit on the technology company, not yes. Quest. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, on the technology. When so did you quit? So that was, would have been like 2007. So just about 10 years ago. So 2007, you quit. There's a three-year lapse. But 20, what happened in those three years? Were you just relaxing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah not quite. So um, they convinced me to come back, and we all agree that we're going to set a benchmark for the software company. If we hit the benchmark, then we'll keep rocking it. And if we don't hit the benchmark, we'll sell it and start this uh, thing that's all going to be about value and passion and all of that. We failed to hit the benchmarks, so we um, we didn't sell the company right away, but we immediately began building out what would eventually become Quest Nutrition and get launched in 2010. Um, but there was, I mean, like two plus years of behind the scenes, like working on the formulation, that kind of stuff before we officially launched. So, so do you think people should take, there's different schools of thought in business. There's the quick launch, lean startup approach, very famous book, lean startup, where you basically, uh, kind of what Facebook does, Mark Zuckerberg says, grow so fast, you break a lot of things, you're launching before you're ready. Sounded Now there's other people that disagree with that formula. For example, Snapchat, Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snapchat uh, just recently went on and there was an article about him saying he doesn't believe that. He likes to make sure it's really good and beta tested. And it sounds like you might be a little more in that school of thought of going slower. Well, so because it took you two years to formulate it. Yeah, yeah, but I will say that we were still launching what I'd call a minimum viable product. So it was hard as hell to manufacture. That was problem number one. Problem number two, we didn't have the ideal fiber fiber source. So that was something that we changed in like the first six months after What launch. is the fiber source now? So now, um, in about fact, it, it depends on when uh, you bought the bars. But we used These two- These are 18 years old. So. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> These are 18 years we, old. Uh, we used two different ones. So originally it was, actually we've, we've used three now, um, but the- um, the one that is used in this one is soluble corn fiber. Soluble corn fiber. For those of you just listening in, we're talking to Tom Bilyeu, started Quest bar, snack, uh, Protein Bars. 1.5 million a day are being sold. They have they're, they're, A lot of people will know these bars if you work out or in a gym. They've got one gram of sugar, so but they taste like they have more two sugar. Two grams. This one has two. One or two grams. It's not much. A, a, Sprite, a bottle of Sprite has about 40 grams of sugar in america so, in europe in america it's only yeah 20 in europe, grams. They, they cut it it's not as good and then of course what do these have in protein they got 15 gram, 20 grams so they got a lot pretty high protein 20 is fairly high i'm drinking a protein shake most protein shakes that you have are between 20 and 30 um you know uh, grams of protein so this is so what do you think it not to bounce around here but somebody was asking on the live the fiber component, has that been a big thing that makes differentiate your bars, not just the protein and low sugar? It, it certainly did in the beginning. So in the beginning, nobody was really using a liquid fiber like we were using. Everybody was using, um, you know, a liquid sugar or glycerin or something like that to make the bar pliable enough to run through the equipment, which is really like, man, you want to get into the nitty gritty of like the how we made this thing work. Yeah, let's do that. It was, I'm sure that there were a lot of people that had a formulation similar to ours, but when they went to the co-manufacturers, they said it can't be made. And it's actually true. Like that bar couldn't be made on traditional equipment. Um, but what we ended up doing was 
realizing that it it's only because all the equipment that exists that you could buy sort of off the shelf, if you will, had grown up in the world where everyone's using um, liquid sugar. So if you say, well, we can make it if we make new equipment, then suddenly the doors open and nobody else had done that. So we became our own manufacturer. So you made your own equipment. Correct. You had to like vertically integrate. And you're using for sugar. I see you're using, you're not using xylitol. No. Uh, you're using erythritol? Erythritol in some of the bars. Why yeah. do you like that above... So these, if you don't know, are basically sh- sweet tasting things that don't spike up your your glycemic. I mean, they don't have a messed up glycemic index. Response, yeah. yeah, your body. You know, my my friend, Doctor Fresco, that you guys know, he basically did. You see, for a month, he took a uh, glucose meter and he literally had it embedded in his stomach he, with a needle. Zach would love that. To go for one month with a needle for in his one month, stomach. he walked around with a needle in his stomach. In his stomach, it How literally do you move around. Well, it was like kind of on their skin, but the, subcutaneous, so yeah. it's not like jabbed into his actual stomach. Yeah. It's not like but, a rabies shot. Oh, I see. So, it, but it's, 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 it's a, a needle, a needle under the skin. Yeah, yeah. Zach a needle. Let me Zach tell you, loves needles. Zach will faint if that <laughs> happens. But he walked around and everything he ate, he could see. And you know what? It's exactly kind of what science says. It's like if you eat uh, a Snickers bar, it goes boom. And there's something I've been testing my blood. I'm working on a book. I can't release it for two years because it's four years of me testing my blood once a month and trying every known supplement. And there's two. There's something called your A1C score, which basically looks back at the last three months of your kind of. It's this is a. Not a. This is a layman's uh, explanation, but it looks back and it tells you what your average uh, glucose level has been. And for a lot of people in America, it's insane. They project in the next twenty years, fifty percent of American children under eighteen years old, okay, will be either diabetic or pre-diabetic. For someone listening who has a business partner, what are some things you learned that are important, the do's and do nots of finding a business partner and then growing and staying peaceably, you know, everybody happy with each other? So it is like a marriage, exactly like a marriage. So just like you need to date and fall in love and go through a courtship phase um, with the person who's going to become your significant other, you need to do the same thing in business. And my partners and I had a chance to get to know each other um, even before your business was involved at all. And then they originally hired me as a copywriter. So really got to see what each of us were like. And oh, that's we how you were. started. They hired yeah. you. So that was back at the technology company. They hired me as a copywriter and they said, hey, look, this is a startup. Don't think of yourself as a copywriter. Being a copywriter is just the tuition you have to pay. Uh, But hey, we're entrepreneurs. So if there's anything you want to learn, we'll help you. And um, I took them seriously. They said, you can have any job in the company you want. You just have to become the right person for that job. So you got to learn the skills. And I just put my head down for, you know, whatever. Seven years. Yeah, that was by the time I quit. But but certainly didn't stop. But um, I had, by that point, I'd already made my way to chief marketing officer and stuff. So, but I, I literally didn't take a day off for like six years. It was crazy. You did the Bill Gates formula. Let me do a quick Snapchat. I want to say, I'm here with Tom Bilyeu. He founded Quest Bars, one of the founders. They're now a billion dollar company and uh, selling what? 1.5 million snack bars a day? Yep. What's the number one thing people need to know you've learned in business? 
uh, always be learning, always be learning. That's just the the truth of it all. And what, you, what were you saying about your self-esteem? That was interesting. Yeah, what you build your self-esteem around matters. So that was the biggest breakthrough for me. I found myself arguing for an idea that was actually stupid and dumb and moved me away from my goals, but I wanted to be right so badly. Even though I knew it was the wrong answer, I just kept fighting for it. And in that moment, I had a crisis because I was like, do I want to get rich, which was my stated goal at the time, or do I want to be right? Because I'm acting like I want to be right, um, but I'm saying that I want to be rich. So in trying to reconcile those two, I realized I needed to feel good about myself, but I could change what I felt good about myself for. And so I switched better to, to be, being the learner. Better to be rich than always right. Uh, 100%. <laughs> better to be happy than always also right. Also true. I mean, yeah, no question. But Tom, what what's the biggest myth you had to throw out in the last seven years? Um, that there are limits to what you can figure out. So I think that now the guiding principle in my universe is I can learn to do anything, anything. So, and when you look at the living embodiment of this, it's Elon Musk, right? Yeah. So it goes in, oh, I want to get to Mars, but no one's built a rocket. I guess I'll have to learn rocket science. Like yes. that's so amazing to me. And when we went into it, we didn't think we were going to be marketers. That was it. We're going to market this protein bar. And when we realized we had to be our own manufacturers, my first reaction was panic. It was like, I don't know anything about that. Like, and I thought that I was like a pretty hardened entrepreneur by that point. And looking at that was like, Jesus, I don't know anything about leasing commercial real estate. I don't know anything about the equipment. Like you gotta be joking. Engineering, I know nothing about it. The thought of wearing a hairnet every day and a lab coat and doing that like was so beyond foreign to me. And, but literally in the span of like, I'm not kidding, 15 minutes went from, okay, this is crazy and I don't want to do this to, it's the only way forward. And so am I really going to chicken out? And so, you know, behavior is driven by identity and my identity is not to back down from stuff like that. So we said, yeah, let's do it. And then figured it out. And that was sort of the last thing is like, I'll never again say I can't figure something out. There's the vast, you know, amount of knowledge out there. I don't know. But once I turn my focus to it, I can make it my own. I can become excellent. I can become one of the best in the world at whatever I set my mind to. So mentors, let's talk about that. Nobody, even though sometimes weird people argue with me on this, <laughs> you don't need mentors. Every, I have not, I have yet to meet somebody who did great things, uh, who can't directly attribute at least some of their success, some of their direction from somebody who went before. I just posted a, a video on my Instagram, a little clip of me with Kobe Bryant um, after one of his last games of the season last year. I sat next to him on the bench, and then I went back in the locker room, and I asked him, like, do you have mentors? And he just immediately goes, oh, yeah, Ty. He goes, well, first of all, I had Magic Johnson. I had Michael Jordan. Then he he mentioned Bob Iger, you know, the, the Disney CEO. He brought up Phil Jack. He had a lot. He kept going, and I said, why is that important? And he said, well, you have to learn from people who created greatness before you. Or else you reinvent the wheel. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and they're like, dude, I invented a wheel. We can put it on a car and it will roll. It's going to be so cool. I, and here's this prehistoric stone. And they're like, you want to put this on your Ferrari? I'm like, dude, they invented a wheel a long time ago. They perfected it. Now they have badass, like Ferraris and Lambos have these badass tires. I drove a Bugatti. I don't have a Bugatti, but I drove one. And they have these tires. They're like 20, I forget what, they're massive tires. So I want to tell those people, yo, 
You could have just learned from the people who already created tires. Why are you going to waste 40 years of your life? So for you, uh, even though you pioneered some stuff, there was nobody to fully look up to, whether authors, whether parents, whether business people that have made an impact on your life. And who are they? Yeah, no question. So uh, the most profound mentors in my life have been authors, uh, for sure. I owe Stephen King. I know that's an odd answer. We were talking about this. Um, a debt of gratitude, big time. Uh, in fact, if anybody listening right now, I'm going to hijack this interview. If you know <laughs> Stephen King, uh, and can get him to come on my show, man. Oh God, I really want to interview. He will guy. give you a quest bar. I, w- I will give you. Have you ever tried reaching out to Yo, I sent him an iPad with a custom <laughs> message from me on it explaining how he touched my life um, and why it was so important. So I used to think I didn't like reading. And when I was like 12 or 13, my dad said, look, read this one more book and I'll never bother you again. If you don't like to read after this book, then I'm just going to leave it alone. And he handed me The Gunslinger, which is the first book in the Dark Tower series. And I read it. And to this day, I remember the opening line. And it it showed me that everyone likes to read. You just don't know, like, you don't know what you like to read about. And so that took me down. I read exclusively fiction for a very long time, but then getting good at reading and not feeling awkward anymore then led me to nonfiction. And so um, Joseph Campbell changed my life at a huh. deep and fundamental level. Okay. Um, very much so. I will attribute much of my success in marriage to Joseph Campbell in the way that he made me conceptualize what it was. Um, so that's been massive. Um, my wife has been a huge mentor for me. My business partners were huge mentors for me. Um, yeah, between, between those three, like in face to face mentorship, those have been the most profound, but then I read not as much as you normally, like I can say, I read more than everybody in the room, but fuck you for the book a day thing. Uh, so I'm a book a week kind of cat. That's still good. No, no, I'm the average CEO reads 50 plus books per year. I have a company mentor box. I'm a co-founder. Go check out mentorbox.com because we help you read as fast as you possibly can. We have tools. We'll send you books in the mail or you can log in and go through stuff. Working hard is only 25% of the formula scientifically for success. There's four components to conscientiousness is the personality trait most associated with you becoming wealthy from a statistical standpoint in the hexaco score, right? H-E-X-A-C-O, the C stands for conscientiousness. It's divided into four categories. One of them is prudence, one of them is diligence, one of them is perfectionism, and one of them is organization. So it's 25% is diligence, which we define as hard work in the modern world. The other 75% comes from other things. One of them is organization. One of them is, I was talking about on my Snapchat, being a perfectionist. But the third thing is prudence, meaning making good decisions. And if you're somebody who's making the decision to build your software from scratch or not thinking through and not researching what already exists, then you're that dumbass that's reinventing concrete wheels and trying to stick them on Lamborghinis. So that's my preface to this. Okay. Travis, three things that people need to know. The one, and let's go as practical as possible. What is the first most important thing from a tool standpoint? Because humans are powerful when they use tools. Tool standpoint that people need to know to make money online. First of all, I would see what people are doing out there that are already successful. You know, you're always talking about reading books, having mentors. There's a lot of people that have gone before you and done really well online like you were saying with our customers, if you add them all up, it's over $500 million they've been able to make taking what they know and selling it online. 
So you, you do that research and you identify, well, this person's using this tool. Well, I need to go check out that tool. Because just like you said, it isn't about working harder. It's about working smarter. And we, we live in a world now where technology is constantly improving it and it's being innovated to be cheaper and better on a regular basis. So let's say, so your software, then there's a few, like I said, this is not a pitch for one company, but obviously he's a co-founder of Kajabi. So we're going to talk about Kajabi. There's other things you can use Shopify, ClickFunnels, WordPress plugins. You can build your own custom software. There's a company called Wix. There's lots of stuff. But let's just, for the purpose of this conversation, since you know Kajabi so well, I'm not getting paid an affiliate fee. So if you guys go out and do, I should get an, I'll set up, one of these days I'll, I'll monetize this, but this one, I'm not getting an affiliate fee. If you sign up to Kajabi, um, maybe you'll take me out to dinner if you get a lot of people. Does that sound fair? Okay. So when somebody, would you build a website through WordPress or from scratch? No. And why not? Why did you build this special software? First of all, in the past, I did. I would not now because there's so many tools, and I wouldn't want to waste my time on that. I want to stay focused on what I'm good at. Right. And I think we live in a world where the internet is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. It allows pretty much anybody to come online and start a business, whether it's a business like our Kajabi customers, where they're sharing what they know, and they're taking. Because it's mostly passion. information products. It's right? information. We call it knowledge commerce. So. Here's how I identify. There's let's pick, let's pick an actual customer. Maybe don't okay. say their name to keep. Sure. What's something one of your more successful customers right now is selling with sure. using your software? So there's a gentleman from Huntington Beach. I just interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and he's teaching how to do Microsoft Excel, and he's made just under three hundred thousand dollars. This, you this use, year so far? Yeah, in total. And so it, all he did was make period. like a primer website, like a dummy Excel for dummies. What he did was he was really good at Excel at his job. He worked for like an, an analytical company and he was the best at doing these different reports. People always asked him, how do you do that? So then he started blogging about it. Hmm. He just went online and, and got himself a simple blog and said, here's how I do this spreadsheet. Here's how I do this report. And then he's like, you know, maybe I'll make a course. And he eventually found Kajabi and he did a little course on how to set up these special reports. And he has since quit his job. This is all he did. So he's making more money, 300 grand with Excel. Zach, do you know how to use Excel? I do. You do? Yes. I'm worried about you using Excel. I, I don't do it well. You just know how to open the program? Yeah, yeah. And hit save and type numbers. <laughs> Zach. And tab. Zach, I, I tab. think you should make a course, like, how to not be good at Excel. By can Zach I do Kirby. that? Yeah. How, how to not be good dummies at things. Dummies for dummies? So, so, if somebody, <laughs> so if somebody's watching, like, what you're basically saying is this dude, took a skill that a lot of people would think is not that monetizable. You can't turn it into money that easily. He went on Kajabi. He spent whatever it is a month to build. So you guys host his course? Everything is course, his videos. His funnels and all that. Funnels, shopping cart. So when people pay a credit card, do you collect the money or do you, does he plug into like Stripe? It Stripe's connected within Kajabi. So it all goes from Stripe right into his bank account. So and he's making roughly, if we divide three hundred thousand, he's made it in the last year. Yeah. So he's making about fifteen to twenty thousand. Right. Uh, actually, a little more. He's yep. almost making twenty five thousand a month. What does he charge for the course? I think it's ninety seven bucks for his Excel reports course. Because there's so many people. So somebody watching this, you could do other software. You could teach how to do Facebook oh, yeah. Live. You could teach how to set up. A, Zach, I know what you should do. How to set up a badass Tinder account. Ooh. I'm, I'm giving He's, you uh, guys. Hold on. 
the, there's a guy that teaches how to text. It's called, he's called the Texting Prince, and yeah. he's made about eighty grand doing that. You, so, on your software? Uh, on Kajabi, yeah. So look, listen to <laughs> me, guys. We're talk I'm giving after. you businesses right now <laughs> oh, yeah. that you could run. I kid you not. I'm giving you businesses right now that you could run. Sometimes people go, oh, Ty, you charge for all your advice. No, I don't. Yeah. I passed a billion minutes of free videos watched. So wow. right now I'm giving somebody a free business. You create a simple course. You can go to Kajabi or if you want to use WordPress or whatever. The yeah. beauty of Kajabi is special. Shopify and ClickFunnels are for like selling physical things a little bit more. So if you use Kajabi or you can use plugins on WordPress, you build something that's called how to make the best Tinder profile. You could charge 97. You could, I would say charge 50, under 50 bucks, charge $49. You put together, like, so you, you tell people just record some videos, right? Oh, yeah, just iPhone at first. So just put a little iPhone, get your friend to hold it or get a tripod, record 15 videos on how you make a Tinder profile, what the first Tinder message to send, how to set up the first date, you know, like all yeah. that stuff. You said somebody's already doing this. Made eighty grand doing texting. How to how to That's text, just how to text back and have text game. Yeah, the texting prince. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna text snap. game. You got text game. Yeah, yeah. Zach should. You could be the text king. By the way, you guys missing my live call. We're talking about how Travis's software. A guy is just teaching people how to do Excel. That's all. He was good at Excel. Yep. They're making. He's making twenty five thousand a month. People paying him ninety seven dollars just to learn how to be really good at Excel. I told Zach, do a damn Tinder program there's so much opportunity i'm giving away free business plans it's up to you to execute i'm giving you the keys of the kingdom right here live don't miss it and on my podcast of course yeah so what are uh, let's keep talking through business ideas people get a lot of value what's another business idea you've seen that somebody's making 50 to five hundred thousand a month doing yeah so i have this thing i call it the four p's okay we're, we're gonna start with profession and and that was the excel one so your profession what do you do for your job whether you're a photographer Maybe you're a landscaping guy. There's a guy who's made $7,500 a month teaching how to start your own landscaping business. Really? So a guy That's lives awesome. in Michigan. He mows lawns. Okay. But Michigan, it gets cold. You know, you're not mowing lawns all year long. So he shot videos on how to start the business and what kind of equipment to get and how to market. And now he's making $7,500 a month teaching how to start a landscaping business. Um, I think a lot of times people take for granted what we do for our job. Yes. You don't realize I'm good at Photoshop. I'm good at social media. I'm good at speaking. I'm good at organization, property you management. You could even do house, like how to organize. You know, Kim Kardashian, before they built the Kardashians, became a billion-dollar brand. She started out organizing closets, and she did it for Paris Hilton. That's how she became friends. So you could conceivably um, come in and take any skill. Yeah. Even how to how to you, how to edit videos, yep. how to edit Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You could do ones how to do, start a car wash business. Yep. Somebody just said they just signed up for Kajabi. Hamza, <laughs> nice. This is gonna be a welcome. Good dinner you got to take. Oh, I know to. it's gonna be. We're really going good. to major steak. We're going. What's the most expensive? Re- Let me think. The most expensive restaurant. You know a bad story. Most expensive restaurant when I didn't have much money that I ever went to. I was in Scandinavia. I was in Sweden, and this girl was like. Uh, I said, what's the best restaurant? Because I thought the currency exchange was really good, but <laughs> I learned later it wasn't. So I landed in the airport, took her out to the dinner at this place, and the guy comes around. It was like a tasting meal, like a preset menu. Yeah, yeah. And it had like seven different wines you test. And I was like, man, this is such a good place. At the very end, the bill comes. And I forget what it was, but let's just say it was like 20,000 kroners. And I was like, 
Oh, with the conversion, that's only going to be like three hundred bucks. It was like I don't know, like three thousand dollars, and I was not. This is before I had much, you know, businesses making much money, and I was like, I almost had a heart attack, and I was like thinking, I wanted to tell that girl, you ain't you worth three thousand dollars on a on a first date. People misunderstand the nature of competition. For example, someone comes up to me, dude, I got a new business we should launch. There's no competitors. I go, uh oh, that means it's probably garbage. It's probably like, oh, you know, they're gonna they want to launch a course on how to do underwater basket weaving. Well, there is no competitors doing that because somebody tried it and there's no customers. So I like to be in things with demand. I mean, ideally, you want things that are competitive, but you can create monopolistic effect. If you read Peter Thiel's zero to one book, good little book, if you guys want to read, but that's not always possible. There's something called blue ocean strategy, red ocean, blue, red ocean means highly competitive. Blue ocean means, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're pioneering a new frontier, but it, listen to me. Okay. Don't overthink it. There's plenty of people in red ocean industries becoming billionaires. So, it's not that simple. People like to get these little euphemisms in their head and go, oh, blue ocean, blue ocean, <laughs> yeah, blue ocean. Well, bullshit. Look at the look at companies. Google, let's look at the biggest companies in America. Apple was not blue ocean because you had Microsoft, you had Lotus, one, two, three. You had plenty at Dell. So they survived the red ocean and they are potentially the first trillion dollar company. Number two, largest market cap company, Microsoft, once again, competing with Apple, competing with Lotus one, two, three, competing with all this stuff. They, they stood the test of time. So that's red ocean. Warren Buffett company valued at $400 billion, highly competitive market. He owns companies like bank of America. There's lots of banks in America. Oh, he owns companies like Dairy Queen. Okay. There's lots of there's lots of fast food places. He owns Geico. There's a lot of auto insurance. There's Nationwide. There's State Farm. So this red ocean, blue ocean thing, guys, you got to think a little deeper here. I think it's important to find that thing that differentiates you, like really find the niche. Because yes. sure, it's great to go after the big mass market. But the example of the pet photographer, instead of teaching photography, she's teaching pet photography, and then she's teaching pet photography for business owners. Yes. And once you create that niche, you're almost funneling down who you're looking for. Yes. You're more likely to find buyers. You're more likely to find people that are going to spend money and you're able to start to look where they are. Like, okay. I always think I'd rather, you know, fish in a pond where I, I can see the fish versus just casting in the ocean, like the whole blue ocean, red ocean concept. It's figure out your niche and then go find them through social media, through sharing the, these tips and these tricks. Um, the next thing is product. You need to create a product. Yeah, let's talk about this. Number three. Yep. Product creation. Mm -hmm. Where What do people do? So they got their idea. Yep. They understand how to get the word out with Instagram and YouTube and free content sampling and things like that. How do they create the product? You grab your iPhone. You can grab your laptop, your iPad, and shoot maybe five to ten videos about your subject, especially the first time around. A real simple introduction be like, hey, I'm Travis. I'm teaching you how to create your Tinder profile. And then from there, you've got three or four videos that's going to teach the rest of that. And then a last video that kind of closes it all up. And how many videos do you recommend an average course? If someone's paying 97 for that Excel course, do you need to deliver 100 videos, three videos, 600, two, 10? What's the number? There really isn't a number. I, what I would, would you do? 
depending on the value I'm providing and, and what am I... Let's take specifically the Excel one. If you were making okay. an Excel one or a Word doc or a Twitter, uh, Tinder one, what, how many would you make? 10 to 20 videos for an, a how 97? Long, how long would each one be? Well, that, that's another thing is how, how much information can people consume? Nothing over... 10 or 15 minutes, I wouldn't go past that. So 10 to 20, 15 minute videos. Yep. And people will pay a one-time fee at 97 bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Practical advice, people. Those of you listening to my podcast and those of you on live, I'm giving away. I told somebody a business idea, how to make money online, sell pet beds. Somebody did it and had the business up the next day. Wow. You know, so this is awesome stuff. Yeah.